Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you so much for your giving and thank you for taking the time to uh, write a card, make a card, and for the team for organizing all that. Thank you guys so much. It is an honor to be your pastor and just excited um, to see what God is going to do this month and in the new year. How many believe that the best days are still in front of us, not behind us? PK and I are very thankful for each and every one of you, um, and I'm super uh, pumped up about the series that we're jumping into Um, kind of underneath the framework of Christmas at Bethesda. I believe that uh, we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few weeks, but I also believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your life, to speak to your heart. Um, This time of year, we all know this time of year uh, as the holiday season. And holiday actually means holy day. That's what it means when we say holiday. It means holy day. But unfortunately, these holidays or these holy days oftentimes become hollow days. They become empty days. This holiday season that comes with the promise of satisfaction, after all, it is known as the most wonderful time of the year, but that promise goes unfulfilled in a lot of people's lives. Instead of being filled with hope and peace, we come out of seasons like this and we emerge on the other side of Christmas with less money, less peace, and less energy. And this series is our attempt to keep you from experiencing the emptiness that many people feel in the holiday season. Now, I believe that if you want to know how something works, the best thing to do is to ask the Creator. And when it comes to celebrating, there's no one better to ask than the original party planner. And the original party planner is is none other than God himself. Now, you may not think of God as someone who likes fun, but he is. All the way back in the Old Testament, Moses met with God to get instructions on how to organize the people and the nation of Israel. And it was during that conversation that God said his people should build their calendar around seven feasts or seven celebrations that was meant to enrich the lives and teach people how to enjoy the goodness of God. And there's no way I could teach all the details of those seven feasts because each one of them are distinct and they are intricate details involved with all of them. But there are some common themes that they all share. And if you'll incorporate the themes from the feast that I want to share with you today, I believe that you're going to experience a freshness of God's presence in your life. How many want to experience a freshness of God's spirit in your life, even in the season that for a lot of people is most stressful? And our theme today is relearning rest. Relearning rest. I believe that today is going to be extremely important for you, and here's why. There is an epidemic of exhaustion in our culture. 
It's clearly seen in fatigued minds that are bombarded with information. Nonstop emails, texts, and decisions. It slows down our ability to process. Our memory slips. Our creativity fades. And we, we settle for short-term goals instead of long-term goals. Not only do we have fatigued minds, a lot of people in our culture, because of exhaustion, they have inconsistent emotions. Inconsistent emotions. We've all come home from work and overreacted about something that was insignificant, and we have that moment where we think, where did that come from? Why did I respond uh, so drastically over something so small? Um, and what we have to understand is that an out-of-control emotion is only reflecting an out-of-control pace. I'm going to say that again. An out-of-control emotion reflects an out-of-control pace. So we have fatigued minds. We have inconsistent emotions. We're exhausted. We have damaged relationships, whether it's an undernourished marriage, a distracted parenting, or the slow fade of friendships. When you're tired, everyone connected to you suffers. We have fatigued minds, inconsistent emotions, damaged relationships, and it culminates with a lacking faith. Our faith is lacking, and it's a sign that you're at capacity when you start skipping church because you've got too much to do. Your definition of prayer becomes rushing through a long list of things that you need God to do. And Bible reading results in you waking up with drool all over the pages. Come on, y'all. When your faith becomes an obligation, your life has become overextended. And our attempts to rest, whatever those attempts are, many times fall short of us actually finding rest. It is very likely over the next few weeks that you will have time off. But my concern is that you will not rest. Anyone ever returned from a vacation and you were more tired after the vacation than before you even left? You were worn out. We take sleep meds, we scroll social media, and we use our PTO. But despite our best efforts, we cannot escape exhaustion, meaning that there must be something more to rest than we actually realize. And it's been one of my goals over the last not just few months, but actually a few years is to find a rhythm of rest. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail. But I want to give you three fresh things today that I believe will help you find rest in the season where most people live exhausted. Number one, rest reveals our spiritual condition. Rest reveals our spiritual condition. When we talk about spiritual conditions in the church, we usually talk about total versus red. How much Bible are you reading? What does your church attendance look like? How much money are you giving? That's usually the gauge to what we think is spiritual. 
And I want to say, you know, up front, all those things are extremely important. How many know coming to church, reading your Bible, giving, praying, all of those things are important for you to find what you need in the presence of God, right? We all agree. But one of the things that we miss is rest. Rest is a spiritual gauge. It is one of the most accurate gauges of your relationship with God. Now, if you go with me to the book of Leviticus, it's a, a book of the law here. And God is uh, he's speaking to Moses, and he's giving him instructions for how these feasts, all seven of them, are, are going to be lived out and what they should look like. And he said, it says, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed feasts or festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. Now, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, there are 44 verses in the chapter, and the phrase, do not work, everybody say, do not work, do not work, appears in, uh, in verse 7, 8, 21, 25, 28, 30, and 31, meaning that it's repeated about every fifth verse through that chapter. And we got to ask, why was God so insistent that you and I rest? You see, exhaustion is a spiritual problem, not a schedule problem. Exhaustion, I'm going to say it again, it is a spiritual problem, not a schedule problem. Um, your level of rest reveals two things. Let me give you the two things that your level of rest reveals. One, it reveals where your identity is. It reveals where your identity is. Um, it was a famous philosopher who, who coined the phrase, I think, therefore I am. Okay? I think, therefore I am. But for the Israelites coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, their lives were not defined by I think, therefore I am, but their lives were defined by I work, therefore I am. Their fundamental identity was related to their work. Today, things are not much different. I think most of us have convinced ourselves that being busy is something that we should wear as a badge of honor. I want you to give this a try this week. Ask 10 people how they're doing, and I bet you will find that 10 out of 10 people will say, to some degree, I'm busy. 10 out of 10 people, I'm busy, I'm busy, and we wear it as a badge of honor. Busyness becomes our means of identity. Overworking hides feelings of inadequacy because your life cannot possibly be trivial or meaningless if you're so in demand. As long as we keep busy, then we can mute that internal voice that says, I am not good enough, I am not valuable enough, I'm not successful enough. And what we fail to realize is that when your accomplishments become your identity, you have devolved, not evolved, but devolved from being a human being to being a human doing. And what we do instead of live in the inheritance and the freedom that Christ came to give us, what Christmas is all about, we go back into captivity instead of living 
like a child of God. Jesus spoke directly against this thinking when he said in John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. As long as you confuse your worth with your work, you're going to remain exhausted. Keeping busy trying to prove our worth is the easiest way to miss the life God created you to live. Your worth as a woman has nothing to do with how much you got done this week. Your worth as a man has nothing to do with how much income you have in, or how much money you have in the bank. Your value is not based in what you do, but your value is based on whose you are. And I need to remind some people today that God created you. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's why you're priceless. That's why you're valuable. That's why you matter. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. And that's what matters. So our level of rest reveals where our identity is, but it also reveals if you're in faith. Over the years, I've come to realize there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people that, if you look at the little icons on their phone, um, and you look specifically at maybe text messages or emails, they'll have 23,000 notifications. And then there are the kind of people that have none. Um, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say this in support of myself. It's actually sometimes why I don't live in the peace God has for me. I'm a clean notification guy. I, I want my text. I don't want to look down and see two. I don't want to look at my emails and see 94. I, I want it clean. I don't want any red notification on my phone. I want them clean. Do I have any clean notification people in the house? All right. Now, here's where I got to throw us under the bus. Though my notifications are often clean and I don't have anything to respond to, I have to believe that people who can have 29,000 or 98,000 notifications must have more PKs like praise God. They must be experiencing more peace than me. Let me explain what I'm talking about with this. Here, here's, here's the thing. Um, while I'm often attending to every demand and ensuring, you know, we got to ensure that the world keeps spinning. Those who do not clean their notifications rest in the fact that there's only so much that you can get done. And then it's got to be turned off. Oftentimes, I live by, if I don't, it won't. But here's, here's, here's the thing. If I don't, it won't. we got to stop the nonsense and realize, if I can't, God can. If I can't, God can Mortgages and student loan payments will pressure you into thinking that everything depends on you. 
The calendar passing and your dreams being delayed will tempt you to take matters into your own hands. And life has a way of pulling you toward doubt and demanding that you and I do more. But refuse the pull. Settle on the fact that God orders your steps. God opens doors. He provides in perfect timing. True rest is found in embracing our limits and remembering God is unlimited. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap right there. Come on, church. He's unlimited. So number one, rest reveals our spiritual condition. Number two, rest is your responsibility. I'm going to make some people mad, but I don't care. I'm so tired of being concerned about that. Rest is your responsibility. Rest for me is my responsibility. And we have a tendency to blame our lack of rest on people. Well, I can't rest because the boss won't let me. I can't rest because, you know, I got to do A, B, and C. It's, I, I can't rest, and it's the culture's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my spouse's fault. Your soul is your responsibility. No one else is responsible for your soul. No one else can take the blame for your exhaustion or your lack of rest. Your soul is your responsibility. Now, in light of that statement, let me just go ahead and confess. Here's what I found. It takes work to rest. How many have found that if you're going to rest, you're going to have to work to find the rest? You, you're going to have to work to find those seasons of rest. And I want to give you a few things here real quick that in, in relationship that, to the fact that rest is your responsibility on how you can do it, all right? Number one, you've got to set aside time. You've got to set aside time. These celebrations that God gave, these festivals that he gave, were to create rhythms in the life of his people. They were to reinforce something that we all know because it's one of the Ten Commandments. It was to reinforce the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath means to cease, to stop, to take your hands off of it. So the practice of Sabbath is simply having a weekly 24-hour period where you stop working and you enjoy life and you enjoy God and you enjoy the people God has placed in your life. Now, when I say things like this, people will say, well, pastor, I've tried, but every time I get to the day that I'm supposed to be off, my list is not done. I've got more things to do, even though it's my time off. Now, let me just ask real quick, has anybody ever watched those competitive cooking shows where they have a timer and they've got to cook and make these masterpieces, um, and they got a certain amount of time, but when the buzzer goes off, when the clock stops, no matter where they are, they have to, their hands have to go up. They're not allowed to move a Brussels sprout. They're not allowed to sprinkle the powdered sugar. No, no, no. The time is up. Their hands have to be up. 
And that's the way we've got to do it. Even if our list is not done, even if it's not complete, we have to realize that God did not give us a Sabbath because he needs it. He gave us a Sabbath because we need it. And wherever we are, we got to take our hands off when the day comes and say, you know what? I'll pick it up after my Sabbath. And guess what you'll find out? Everything will be just like you left it before you took your Sabbath. The world will not fall apart. You're not that important, baby. You need to slow your roll and know if God says you need a nap, a snack, you need to sit down a little bit, then you, come on somebody, you need to give him praise right there if you believe. We, 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 we think we're too important. If I, if I don't do this, it's not going to get done. And we continue to wear this as a badge of honor. So you've got to set aside the time. You've got to, here, here's the second part of that. You've got to sample what's life giving to you. A lot of people take the Sabbath, but they do stupid stuff on the Sabbath. They take time off, and instead of doing things that deposit life, they do things that distract them from life. So you get a Sabbath, and listen, I'm not preaching to be hard on you, but if you take a Sabbath, and your Sabbath is binge-watching Netflix and scrolling through social media all day long in your Christmas PJs, you have not, listen to me, you have not done anything that deposited life. You distracted yourself from life but you got to start sampling when you have a Sabbath, what are the things that deposit life? Because a lot of people will say, well, Pastor, what do I do on a day off? Some of us, we work so much we don't even know what to do. We get on people's nerves on a day off because we don't know what to do with ourselves. We've got to sample what is life-giving. Um, it could be for you a walk with your spouse. It could be a date night. It could be you know, a lot of different things. You've got to find some things that actually deposit life into you, not things that distract us from life. So set aside some time, sample what is life giving. And here, here's the one that's probably going to be the hardest. On, on the Sabbath, when you take a day off, you need to find time in that day to sit in silence. Sit in silence. Real, real rest, as you guys know, it doesn't come from a day off. It comes when we're connected to God's presence. And God often speaks the loudest when we are the quietest. See, our ability to be silent with someone is contingent on our level of intimacy with that person. If you have a high level of intimacy with someone, you can sit together in silence. PK and I have been married a long time. God bless me. I'm not so sure that he blessed her, but he blessed me. Um, and we've been together so many years that we're at a place in our relationship that we can just sit together in silence. And listen to me, there is the silent treatment. <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about. The silent treatment happens out of anger. But there is also something referred to as bonding silence. And it's only achieved 
when you have a certain level of intimacy, the close friends that you can be in the same room and just chill and you don't have to say anything. Why? Because there's a level of intimacy there. You can hang out and there's bonding through the silence because you're close enough for that to happen. And some of us, we can't get quiet with God and sit in silence because our level of intimacy with him is not there. To get quiet in God's presence would make some of us extremely uncomfortable, but maybe that's revealing the level of intimacy that you have or the lack thereof. See, it's the capacity to simply be with each other because we like being together. At the core, sitting silently with God is our commitment to reestablish relationship. Watch this. Not based on our demands of what he do for us, but based on friendship. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus wants a level of intimacy with you. And a lot of times we're missing out. And here's something else I will share with you. God is not just a peaceful person. He's not just a peaceful person. God is, in fact, peace. When we sit in God's presence, we are sitting in the presence of peace. And when when God said rest or to find rest, he says that the only place we find it is in his presence. It's found in him and nowhere else. That's why Matthew 11, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I want you to notice Jesus doesn't say come to religion or come to rules or come to rituals or come to regulations. The antidote for stress and emptiness is not a plan for time management or program for stress relief or a fresh philosophy in our life. It's none of those things. Jesus alone, Jesus by himself is the antidote for a tired soul. And if you're tired, stressed out, empty, and the holidays always end up being hollow, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. That's where it's found. Nowhere else. You're not going to find rest anywhere else. For a lot of people, that's intimidating because you're thinking, well, pastor, you don't know the stuff I've done. The invitation still stands. It doesn't matter what you did. The invitation is come, but you don't know my background. Jesus says, come. You don't know what I'm struggling with right now. He does know what you're struggling with right now. And he still says, come. You don't know the stuff I plan to do tomorrow, Jesus. Yeah, he knows the stuff you plan to do tomorrow. And the invitation still stands, come to me if you're tired and weary, and I will give you rest. John 6, 37, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It doesn't matter your past, your present, your future. He says, I will never reject you. And some of us have been rejected by so many people that we bring our our trauma and our triggers into our relationship with God, the one who would never reject you. The one who would never turn you away. And because we don't pursue peace through him, we, find it, we try to find it in all these empty measures. Rest reveals our spiritual condition. Rest is our responsibility. And as the worship team comes, rest carries great risk and reward. Great risk and reward. The Bible is filled with principles and commands for living. 
Maybe the most famous are the Ten Commandments. And I'm not preaching us back under the law. Please don't, you know, think he's preaching us back under the law. I just a few months ago preached that we've been delivered from both sin and the law. But how many know there are some pretty good principles? There's some really good principles. And Sabbath is one of those principles that a day off, a time to rest, God's peace is important. Um, and God gives us these things, and he gives us a Sabbath to make our life better, not worse, to make it better. They make our life better by helping us avoid problems, and it also helps us to position ourselves to inherit blessings. The fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath or regularly rest. And like all the commandments, the fourth comes with both a price and a promise. The price is what we pay for not following, and the reward is what we inherit for following. Let me show you the price. Here's the price. Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 32. It says, now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Now, how many believe, this sounds a little over the top. He's gathering sticks, and now he's under arrest because he's working on the Sabbath. And then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him. I got a good feeling that if most of us lived in the old covenant, we would not be in church today because we would be dead. There is always a price. Listen to me. There is always a price for not doing it God's way. There's a price for it. And when we look at this and we see this text, we understand that 1 Corinthians 10, 6 tells us that everything in the Old Testament is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And in the Old Testament, four things required death. Four things required death. Murder, adultery, rebellious kids, have to remind my kids sometimes, you better be thankful you're not living in the old covenant. Murder, adultery, rebellious kids, and not resting. Watch this. Murder is killing someone else. Adultery is killing your marriage. Tolerating rebellious kids is killing the future. And not resting is killing yourself. That is the price. One of the leading causes of death in our nation is stress. It's killing, killing people. It constricts the blood flow in your body. It destroys organs physically. It ages you way faster than you should age. All because we are stressed out and anxious and always, you know, worried about what's next and we don't know how to rest. 
The man here refused to rest and it killed him. And it's a picture of many of your lives that your lack of rest is actually killing you. And God sent me to warn you that there is a price that you will pay. That's not a negative thing. It's something we do to ourselves. It's not that God's punishing us. How many know we're bringing it on ourselves? It's It's not that he's punishing us. So please don't hear what I'm saying the wrong way. So there's a price, but there's also a promise. The promise is found in Isaiah 58. It says, if you watch your step on the Sabbath, in other words, you you treat the day of rest like you should, and you don't use my holy days for personal advantage. If you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, and running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. What what is God saying? He's saying, I'll raise you above and you'll enjoy abundance if you'll learn how to rest. It's a picture of, in traditional Judaism, the family, at the beginning of the Sabbath, they would recite a blessing. They would speak this blessing at the beginning of the Sabbath. And as the family would recite the blessing, the father of the family would take uh, this saucer and goblet. They were glued together, welded together, and he would begin to pour wine into the goblet, into the cup, as the blessing was being recited. And he would purposefully continue to pour the wine until the entire blessing had been spoken. And he would not stop when it got to the top of the cup. He would keep pouring until the entire blessing was finished. And the wine would overflow from the cup onto the saucer. Because God was trying to teach his people that if you honor the Sabbath, if you honor my rest, if you seek seek me for your peace and and to uh, alleviate the anxiety, that I will bring you into a place of overflow. I'll bring you into a place that you could not get all by yourself. I'll release abundance into your life. I think the best way to illustrate this is to talk about the Lord's chicken. I got to talk about the Lord's chicken. Chick-fil-A, how many fans do I have? Chick-fil-A. They can get you in and out in about two minutes, even though the line's seven miles long. It's an amazing restaurant. But here's what you, a couple things you need to know. Did you know that the average standalone fast food restaurant in the United States, each of those restaurants, they gross a bit over $1 million per year, $1 million. Some higher, some lower, but the average around $1 million. But the average Chick-fil-A is a bit over five million per year, each one. That's gross profits. That's just everything, that's what they make when it's done. Five million, each one. The chicken is good, but how many know that's astounding when you compare it to their competitors? And here's, here's, here's the thing. They make five times more than all their competitors. And they talk about this on their website their founder, Truett Cathy, made the decision, this is on their website, to close on Sundays in 1946 when he opened his first restaurant in Hapeville, Georgia. Having worked seven days a week 
in restaurants open 24 hours a day, Truett saw the importance of closing on Sundays so that he and his employees could set aside one day to rest, rest and worship if they choose. Now here's the crazy thing about all these numbers. Most of their competitors have more stores. All their competitors are open seven days a week. And Sunday is the highest grossing day of the week for fast food nationwide. Yet according to restaurantbusiness.com and theentrepreneur.com, Chick-fil-A, even though they are closed 52 days a year, they earn more than every other store, about four to five times more than all other fast food restaurants. How does that happen? Because there is a blessing that is attached to resting that God says, if you'll do it my way, even when you rest, I'm working. Even when you take a break, I'm working. Even when you say, I need a time out, I'm working. And I'll bring, I'll not just meet your needs, I'll bring you to a place of overflow. I'll give you more than enough. How many want to step into the rest God has for you this holiday season? Anybody want to step into it this holiday season? I don't, I don't want you to stand. I want you to stay seated for a minute. We're going to receive communion in a minute. But before I get there, I want to transition right into communion because I think it's a great part in the service after hearing this word to take a pause, to take a step back. Man, I know you got gifts to buy and you got lists. And, but listen, if you don't get to it, here, let me, let me just go ahead and alleviate this for some people. If you don't get to the list and everybody that you love don't get the perfect gift from you, if you've nurtured that relationship, I promise they'll be understanding and you'll love each other anyway. So don't live underneath that kind of burden in this season. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want to speak to people in the room that may be looking for the ultimate rest, which is a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not in relationship with Jesus. You're not saved. You're not living for God. You've not taken up your cross to follow him, but you're living your own way, doing your own thing. But you know that today I need to make a decision for Jesus. I need to make a decision for Jesus. I need to give him my life. I need to give him my whole life. I don't want to leave the same way that I came in. If that's you this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need to give my life to Christ. Maybe you're here and you need to rededicate your life to Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. Thank you for this hand right here in this middle section. Anyone else? You say, that's me. I don't want to miss anyone. Anyone else? before we pray. Anyone else? I want us to pray together out loud. Those of you online that are making a decision for Christ, you can pray with us right there where you are. Let's say it out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe that you sent your son. He died in my place. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's sitting at your right hand. Today, I choose to follow Jesus. Save me. Forgive me. Be my boss. Thank you 
for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate salvation in the house today? So good. I'm going to ask if someone would bring me a communion element. Thank you so much. We're going to transition right here into communion. And I want to say a few things about communion. They are located. I didn't even tell you where they're located. They're under your seats. Sometimes Sunday is a marathon, not a sprint. They are located under your seats. There should be two, one for each service. I don't need you to take, you don't need double communion. You're not that bad. Some people feel like, I'm so bad, I may, I may need both of these, Pastor. But I want to I wanna explain it for just a minute. Holy Communion known as the Lord's Supper represents the greatest expression of God's love for his people. Two items used in the Holy Communion. The bread representing Jesus' body that was scourged and broken before and during his crucifixion. And also the cup which rep represents the shed blood of Jesus. When Jesus walked on earth, he was vibrant. His body was full of life and health. Jesus was never sick. But before Jesus went to the cross, he was badly scourged by the Roman soldiers. His body was torn as he hung on the cross. And at the cross, God supernaturally put all our sickness and disease and put them on Jesus's original perfect and healthy body so that you and I could walk in divine health. That's why the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. In Luke 22, Jesus tells us the cup is the new covenant in my blood. The Apostle Paul tells us that the blood of Jesus brings the forgiveness of sins. You may say, well, Pastor, why do believers partake of the Holy Communion? Besides being born again in Christ, a healthy body and a healthy mind are probably the greatest blessings anyone can receive. And the Holy Communion is God's ordained channel of healing and wholeness. A lot of people miss what God wants to do through communion, which is to make you whole in every part of your life. I went to bed last night and I fell asleep quoting a scripture that I, I just feel prompted to speak over people because this is the great expression of God's love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. This does not have to be a season of fear and anxiety. His loving instructions is that we remember him as we partake in communion. He wanted us to be conscious of the fact that his body was broken so that our body could be healed. And today, as we partake of the bread, we are declaring Jesus' health and divine life flows through our minds and bodies. When we partake of the cup, we're declaring today that we are forgiven and we have been made righteous. 
that Jesus' blood gives us right standing. And because of that, you and I can go boldly into God's presence. And when we pray, we can be assured that he hears us. Before you partake, remember that Holy Communion is not a ritual to be observed, but it's actually a blessing to be received. I'm going to ask if somebody would open my bread for me. I'm not going to be able to do it. Thank you, Trish. I'm going to read the scripture and we're going to take communion together. How many are thankful for the body and the blood of Jesus? Are you thankful for it? I'm thankful for it. Thank you so much. The scripture the Apostle Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes you can take the cup just give God some praise right there where you are in whatever way come on with your words use your words talk to him thank him for his body thank him for his blood salvation made possible through Jesus deliverance made possible through Jesus healing made possible through Jesus today we're going to celebrate in closing this service out we're going to worship we're going to take this communion that we've just received and we're going to turn that into praise towards heaven as the worship team comes. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our altar ministry, our prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything at all, if you need ministry at all, our altars are open. We invite you to come and allow us to pray with you and for you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.